Welcome to the Inspiring Minds Podcast, hosted by Justin Starbird and presented by the Edison Awards. Listen as Justin talks with innovators and pioneers that are changing the world around us. True modern-day Thomas Edison's walking among us. Guests will answer the most difficult of questions facing startups, established brands, and folks with great ideas that are just getting started. Learn how these amazing innovators have gone from concept to commercialization and what it took to get there. Take notes as they share with Justin how they navigated through research, development, and in true Thomas Edison fashion, marketed and sold their newfound innovations. You're listening to the Inspiring Minds Podcast. Real quick. Do you want me to also record as a backup or what? Sure, we can, if you'd like, that's fine. Oh, where is that damn app? Phones still aren't perfect. Okay. What date is today? Is the tenth. June tenth, twenty twenty. Oh boy, what a what a decade it is. <laughs> Touche. Welcome back to this episode of Inspiring Minds. My name is Justin Starbird, and today I'm really excited to have an old friend um, on the podcast with me today, uh, Dan Harden, uh, founder and CEO of Whipsaw. Dan, welcome. Nice to see you, man. It's really great to be here. It's good to see you, too. You know, uh, we were joking offline. Uh, you know, it seems like we have one of these conversations um, oh, every six months or once a year uh, in and around when we have the Edison Awards event or we're getting ready for nominations. And uh, this year, instead of being in person, you know, we're, I don't know, 3,500 miles away. So, yeah, yeah. you know, um, and, and this time it gets recorded. So this is even more fun. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> um, so, Dan, for those that uh, that don't know um, about, you know, uh, Whipsaw, tell me a little bit about um, your firm and uh, and your role there. Sure. So, Whipsaw is an industrial design, UX, and mechanical engineering consulting firm. We're in California. We're in San Francisco and San Jose, and oh, we design consumer electronic products, medical goods, uh, scientific equipment, commercial goods, furniture, lighting, uh, pretty much anything you can imagine as far as like product categories. Um, mm -hmm. We've done everything from the tiniest little wearable up to high-speed rail. And um, most of the products we work on are, you know, like half of them are for startup companies and the other half are the big Fortune 100 companies. Um, we've had quite a bit of diversity. Um, there are several different design firms in this country and around the world, but um, we have differentiated in a number of ways. Uh, one of them is the fact that we, about 95% of the work that we work on goes to market. It is commercialized. And they often become very successful. Yeah. Um, we've had a lot of big hits ranging, oh my gosh, from Google Chromecast, Nike Fuel Band, uh, many products for Brita, uh, Dell products. Um, the list goes on and on. We've had, we've produced over, well, let's see, the, our clients have shipped well over a thousand products since, um, founding, since I founded the company back in 1999. Yep. And uh, it's really just about the, the celebration and the joy of creative problem solving. All of, 
everything that we do stems from this belief and this purpose that the world can be a better place. If you, if you think openly and creatively, we, we live and breathe innovation. It is, it is our way of expressing ourselves. It feels mm -hmm. very natural. Um, you know, it's a, it's a relatively small team, 35 to 40 people, but um, we're, it allows us to be very personal in how we solve design problems and very fanatical about details. Um, we just love what we do. It's, well, it, it, it certainly shows. I mean, you know, we've known each other, uh, I think, six or seven years now, you know, through the course of, you know, some of the different projects that, that you've created and participated in the Edison Awards with and, and won, you know, gold um, a couple of different times, which has been really neat. I think your messaging about, you know, uh, um, adjusting to the, what's going on in today's culture is probably spot on. You know, how has the team um, responded in light of, you know, the last couple of months? Uh, I would say at first in shock, like everyone else around the world. Um, I don't think much of the public really expected anything like this to happen. I've certainly never seen anything like this in my lifetime. Yeah. It's the pandemic, not necessarily the, the other issues, the massive political problems that this country has. Um, I, you know, Justin, like two and a half or three months ago, if you would have said to me, guess what? Your whole staff is going to be working from home and you're going to have to be productive. I would have said there's no freaking way. Right. Uh, you know, it, because design especially. Yeah. And the kind of problem solving that we do, it is very social. We benefit from being with one another, among one another. So we've had to it's been a major adjustment. I mean, you know, we're all working from home. Some of us come into the studios, you know, in limited numbers. Yeah. But for the most part, we've, we've had to master collaboration methods. Um, we're on Slack all the time. We, we really encourage, if not enforce a communication frequency and a cadence that, that basically makes sure that people are talking and sharing mm -hmm. ideas. Sharing ideas is essential because in design, there's a lot to be said about synthesis. You think you might be on the right path, and then when someone else sees it, they have a completely different perspective, of course. They, yeah, of course. You know, we all have our own little universes inside of our heads, and you benefit when you're creatively solving problems from someone else's universe. Yeah. It, it, um, it's just essential to keep talking. Um, did you have any uh, concerns or, or did anything come up with, um, you know, the good thing you mentioned earlier is that you, you have a lot of diversification in the, in the types of clients that, that, um, that you work with. Uh, did you see a, a change in, in how business was, was done for you? And, and yeah, yeah. Uh, the diversification ended up being a godsend because, yeah. you know, we were not so steeped in one industry that it would limit our scope. So, you know, the fact that we, you know, we're, we had this wide span from baby products all the way to elderly products, from very high tech products to no tech products. Uh, we've done some housewares and furniture products where there's no technology at all. There's no circuit boards and batteries or anything, no apps, etc. So, but during this pandemic, certain industries fell away immediately. Any, any one of our clients that had something to do with the entertainment world, 
um, well, they're suffering. Um, on the other hand, other sectors uh, rose up, you know, like the medical <laughs> products, uh, uh, wearable products, um, strategic work, helping clients understand what innovation means to them and guiding them through a process where they're struggling too. Yeah. And helping them understand like, what does it mean in these times to innovate? How can you innovate? If, you know, if, if your factories shut down, if your workers are at home, how do you go about that? So we're helping some clients through that maze. And um, well, isn't it like the most perfect case study too to say when there's adversity, there's innovation? Oh, absolutely. I, that's why I don't fret about these things. I mean, I've been doing design long enough and I've, I've lived and worked through so many different recessions, right? I don't get all worked up about it. It's easy yeah. to get anxious in today's world. But I think you just, you focus on, on, in my case, you know, my muse is kind of this, the, the big general word, creativity, yeah. right? And I, I always fall back on that. I know we're going to be able to creatively work our way out of any fix we find ourselves in. Yeah. And, and that goes to our clients too. We bring that attitude to our clients, that optimistic, like good old fashioned, good old American, let's roll up our sleeves and solve this problem attitude lives in this company so strongly that it's benefited us during this pandemic. Yep. That, um, our clients feel that they're really like grateful to us for, for sticking with them and helping them through yeah. this difficult time. Well, you know, I think about that, you know, some of the things that you're talking about and, and how you've like stuck it out um, and, you know, creativity can, can help you solve a lot of those concerns or problems or issues that have kind of come up. But, you know, part of the other thing that's made you pretty successful is the ability to turn that creativity into design, the design into concept, the concept into, you know, prototype and a prototype into a product that you can then turn around and sell and help your clients be massively successful with that. You know, can you elaborate a little bit on that piece and how you, you know, help somebody go from, you know, that, that concept to even manufacturability? Yeah. You said in one sentence, what we do, <laughs> um, you know, starting with sometimes uh, a very big notion about the way that a company is visualizing its future. They might have an idea, they might have a wish, they might have a dream. Sometimes a CEO will come in to this company with, with like, I wish I had a company that could offer these things. Maybe, maybe it's a material thing, maybe it's a product, uh, maybe it's a, a digital experience, maybe it's a shifting of their brand. And they need it actualized. So that's why companies come to us. Our clients are those firms that want to actualize on a plan. That's really what design is. Yeah. And they'll come in with a, often a rough idea about what they're looking for. They'll have kind of loose criteria. We want a product that does X, Y, and Z. It has to be safe. It has to be cost effective. We want it to be very competitive. We want it to be functional. We want a beautiful uh, we want to enhance the end user's experience by making it more beneficial in some way, whether it's more support or enablement um, or sometimes even delight. And so they'll kind of throw down all these requirements. And then you go through a process that I recently coined as uh, it's an acronym, um, ESTE. 
E-E-M, esteem. That's, you, you start with, just examine. Examination is like, okay, what's the, what's, what's the issue here? What, you know, what is the client, what are their concerns? What are their uh, objectives? What are the end users um, concerned? Just examine everything, every single condition, context of the problem is really important, just defining what that problem is. And the next, the next S is to see. And I know there's a lot of talk about design thinking and I love design thinking. That's the T, the thinking part. Yeah. Um, but we really try to um, glean from the examination some insights that allow us to, in an almost an unfettered way, access something greater than maybe what you can through than what you would through strict analysis of a problem. It's not only about pragmatic logical problem solving. Uh, logic is good, reasoning is good, of course, but when you are seeing, you're doing much more than looking at something and you, you are observing, you are feeling, you are sensing, you are shifting your perception and you're really looking for something that calls you maybe from within, that tells you, you know what, maybe this, maybe if we did this, have this approach, it might stimulate the brand or, or excite the end user. And sometimes these are just, I talk, and, and by the way, I'm talking very broadly. Um, and it's, I think that's important in the early part of the phase to kind of swim around in this unknown territory and be comfortable with it. Right. Most, most firms are not, I can say they're not exactly that comfortable in these early phases because we're living in a time when all these, corporations and clients, companies, they, they want this strict methodology that gets you to an answer. They want to be... Well, don't all, all people want that, not just companies, they right? They, want, they, they want to be able to tell you what, hey, I'm going to, you know, wake up, you have breakfast, go to work, come back, have dinner on the table. Exactly. Yeah. They, they want that, that reliability in a process. And in this particular early part of our phase, we just try to be with the problem, become the users. You, can, you become almost like a method actor. Yep. You, you take on everything that that end user is feeling and thinking. If you're trying to uncover some hidden truth yeah. about the condition. Then you can, after you have that and you rapidly visualize what you're thinking and externalize it in the form of diagrams and sketches and writing even, um, then you can go into a more pragmatic problem solving where you're really using your intellect and you're starting to really think, think it through. Now comes the analysis. Now you have, now between the examination, the seeing and the thinking, now you have the basis from which you can begin to really explore. And the exploration, now you have a target. You know where you're gonna go. Sometimes you don't completely know where you're gonna go. You can be like a Magellan where I'd say, I'm just gonna head south, southeast <laughs> or southwest. Hey, let's go and see where it leads us. That's okay, but um, to make sure that you do meet the overall objective of getting your product to the market, you need to be a little bit more directed than that. And that's why it's really important to get that early, the examination, the seeing and the thinking right. The exploration we go through is vast. Uh, we like to uncover a lot of different opportunities. Uh, we will sketch, prototype, 
build uh, whatever it takes to get to an answer, we will go through. We're very prolific when it comes to like creating a lot of optional solutions. Yeah. Um, then comes the evaluation. I'm oversimplifying every project, of course, but um, everybody likes these little buckets of like, okay, generally, how do you think, right? right. Uh, for the reliability of your process. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the evaluation is, you know, a lot of what you hear in like, design thinking courses and so forth, but the evaluation is, okay, then get it in front of the end user and begin to understand, you know, were the assumptions that you made early on and through your exploration phases, were were those right? Yeah. Does it work? And and test test and iterate, reiterate, um, get back into the exploration phase. There's a lot of uh, of back and forth between you know going back to exploration, then you evaluate, back to exploration, evaluate, and then finally the M is make. So you then either you're making prototypes, you're making beta units, you're yeah. making tools for production, and then you ship. So all of this is an oversimplification, of course, in a process. Every project is different. The goal is almost in every case, like you said, you start with a, a corporate objective or a problem statement. Mm -hmm. and sometimes that's as vast as uh, like, help us increase our brand awareness. Um, or in other cases, it's like, help us make more money. Yeah. Sometimes it's help us make more meaning. Uh, so there's a shift in the definition of what prosperity means. I, I like this more uh, outcome for the end user versus income for the corporation. I like more meaning than money. So, and we're always trying to push this, a different model of what prosperity means. I think that's more about the future. That's where we need to be going. Um, but taking those rough ideas like that and goals and wishes that a client might have and then running it all the way through a process that I just described. That is usually what our clients are after. They want us to, to productize something. They, they need great yeah. ideas that are actually taken to market because that's the investment. There needs to be a return on creativity there. And so we are held to this standard of like, okay, let's, let's move on, keep going. And as creative people, you want to typically, uh, drift a little bit, you know, be with that problem so much where you're, you're kind of, you're enjoying that process, but you often are, are your feet are pressed to the fire. You've got to, you've got to move. You have to keep relentlessly moving that project forward yeah. to production. Um, we're also often asked for, uh, to take on the responsibility of creating success for our clients. What do you mean by that? Do you mean like jumping into the business development side of things with them? Not necessarily the business development, but we have to really internalize what they are trying to do as a business. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's a startup. It's like, help us exit in three years. Okay, what does that mean? Well, that, that, that outcome that we are trying to produce might be slightly different than if that startup said, help us reach a million units sold per, per year. That outcome is different than if we were to be asked to help us merge with a much bigger corporation, thereby uh, craft our brand so that it's more compatible with our target um, potential buyer in the future. Mm -hmm. So that's what I mean. We are often asked to be responsible for um, 
creating success for our clients because success means different things to different companies. Well, I think, you know, that those are, that's a really good point. And, and I, I have told um, some of our previous guests, that's, that was the impetus behind starting Inspiring Minds as a podcast was that, you know, Edison has been uh, widely credited with over a thousand patents and, you know, uh, developing current stages of R&D and how, you know, you have collaboration and teamwork and, you know, and, and to your point, you know, socializing uh, ideas uh, to create solutions. And one of the pieces that, you know, I don't think he ever, ever gets enough credit for is then taking those ideas and being able to market them and, and sell them um, and create a need for them. And so it's really interesting to hear how you jump into, um, you know, the, the business that you're working with to assist in some of those stages. Do you, do you have a process or how do you, how do you, uh, how do you lend a hand there without stepping over, you know, maybe some of the, uh, you know, corporate bias that they may have? Yeah. You have to be very careful. You have to first and foremost, really understand your client. Um, I believe in this so much that I named the company after this idea. Um, I had been at a company, Frog Design. I was there for, for 10 years. And I think that was a great place for me to learn the importance of, of really get to know your client. Don't just be this designer wearing a beret like an artist in the corner and, and you know, then you spit out your solution, they go make it and you expect to be successful that way. I learned pretty quick in my career, so you've got to work with people. You need to collaborate. Yeah. This all is a, a long two-man saw. It requires two people to use it. And the metaphor works for the way that we like to have this reciprocal action with our clients. And that means sometimes as a designer, you need to get out of your own world of, of uh, dreamy design and be a business person and listen very carefully to, to what you know, the CEO of your client is, his objectives are, or her objectives. You need to, you need to be um, very respectful of the engineering and marketing folks that are running these companies and really make sure that your solution fits their, their capabilities. Yep. Like be able to implement what you're doing uh, because you've listened to them and you've adjusted your solution so that it fits their capability so that they can go off and become successful. Mm -hmm. Um, you also have to understand, you know, how business works. You have to understand the fundamentals of business. It makes you a better designer, in my opinion. Yeah. Some designers don't really care about that. Um, and there is a gigantic chasm between the world of design and the world of business. It's something that designers have been struggling with pretty much for the last hundred years, probably more. That is, oh, you know, designers are, and I'm one of them, I'm like, you know, I was born with an empty vessel on the left side of my brain. You know, I was like, I did not want to think about anything like business or um, any kind of linear reasoning at all. I was just mm -hmm. pure creative. But, you know, having been a consultant for many decades, I realized if you're going to win in this business, you better know the business. You, you better understand what your clients are really capable of doing, what, they're, what they want to do and why, and let that influence you as a designer. Because, and the reason I say this, Justin, it's so important for designers to think this way is because if you as a designer are going to influence the world, you must impart your values, what you believe in as a designer, whether that is, I'm going to make the most beautiful thing in the world. 
I'm going to help people by inventing something that has extraordinary functionality that gives people some new way of interacting with something. You, if the only way to really affect the world is to impart those values in your solutions so that those solutions go out into the world like, like little emissaries and do their little silent selling and work out there. And you want to do this in the, in my opinion, in the highest volume possible, because then you are affecting the world. You are truly bringing these design values out into the world, putting them in the hands of end users. And, you know, otherwise you can, you can influence minds and inspire minds by doing sometimes just design for the sake of design, which then goes out and then is, feeds the world with more inspiration. But you can also do it by putting great products in the hands of individuals that are consuming them and enjoying them, not necessarily for the sake of design, but because your product has, has inspired them in some way. It's, yeah. made, it's made their life a little bit more delightful. And then you multiply that by hundreds of millions and the effect when you're getting lots of products out there and then you feel better as a designer because in the meantime, a lot of the products that you're developing are also material things that require a lot of energy to produce, a lot of materials that ends up in dumps. And the only way to mitigate that is to make design that is great, it's timeless, that lasts on the market a long time, it lasts in the minds of that end user and has relevance to what really the world is, is uh, ready for and needs. When you're working with a company, that's, you know, I, I, you know, can think of dozens of questions to follow that up with, but you know, where you work with such a wide breadth of, of companies and, and clients. Um, and to your point, you have some that are really high tech and you have some that are really low tech or no tech. Um, how are you able to impart that, you know, process, not just that you've created, but, you know, help them uh, see that you're able to tell their story through design. And the best way to do that is by, you know, uh, asking not just the right questions, but better questions of why they're, they're actually creating these products. How do you, how do you massage that? Um, and, and how do you help us, you know, especially startups get through some of those pieces when, when, you know, they may have um, a, their own mission and reason for doing things. Yeah, well, it's a good question because it's one of the biggest challenges, especially being a consultant when you have many different projects going on simultaneously. And you need to, again, it's the, the key is this internalization, really, really accepting that you must internalize that particular set of problems for that particular client that has that particular need from the end users. Yeah. You, you need to, you need to just not only internalize it, but embody it. Yeah. So fully bring it into your mindset. The trick as a consultant is to be able to jump from one of those to the next, sometimes five in a day where you're solving five different, completely different problems. You might be working on a, a baby bottle one day and then you're working on, gene sequencing machines, and then you're working on uh, a hyperloop. And then you're jumping back to a wearable at the end of the day. I, this, is, this is my everyday. This yeah. is craziness. But um, you have to almost like um, 
I put, it's a lot of mind control, I think, in some ways. You know, it's, it's creative discipline. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is you have to, I think that, that most design problems and engineering problems, and Edison would have, would have agreed with this, they, they're all united by certain elements that we all experience as end users. And I am always most inspired by the end user, just as I mentioned when I was talking about esteem, that process of like going to the heart of what the problem is. You need to go to that end user. You'll hear a lot of people advise, oh, you should do this to solve that problem. You should go do this. No, if you go to that end user, usually the source of your insight is, it's gonna be right there. And you will find that people generally want very similar things. Whether you're designing a, a surgical product for a doctor, um, a housewares product, or a productivity tool for the office, we all generally want higher performance, whatever the thing is you're working on, mm -hmm. which means probably enhanced functionality. Um, you, want, you want greater ease of use without becoming lazy use. Right. You know, we like ritual. We like to go to, it's like, yeah, give me a couple of things to do on these, on the product. Don't, don't make it so freaking easy that I, that I feel less deserved of whatever this proposition that I'm about to consume is all about. And you want some form of emotional connection or delight. And this can be said about any product category. Some, of course, if you're designing a, a beautiful piece of furniture, for example, you're going to want a lot more delight, a lot more, you know, architectural context. You'll, you'll appreciate those materials more. You're going to definitely want performance. You don't want your table slant to be at 20 degrees and all your coffee falls off the table. You know, you're going to have to, so, but there's varying levels of these things, whether it's the yeah. human factors, the aesthetics, the functionality, and you adjust your, your, configuration, if you will, you manipulate these different factors to create a desired effect. Mm -hmm. And by understanding the promise that the product might have by the time it ships and putting yourself into the future, because a lot of design is future telling, because a lot of like what I'm thinking about today, the different design projects, projects we're working on now, they might not ship for a year or two or five years from now. So you need to be, you need to be kind of clairvoyant about like, okay, it's, will this be the trend in three years? Yeah. You know, well, it doesn't that go back to your point. You know, if you're able to create something and then, uh, you know, where you have the biggest impact is by, by actually putting it in the hands of more people, then effectively you're creating the trend um, of where you're going to be going. Right. That's right. And that takes, that's a really good point because many clients, they always say, well, you know, is that on trend? Is that, uh, you know, will that be on trend in a year from now? And it takes some moxie to tell your client, guys, you are the trend. Yeah. And we work with a lot of great big companies like Google and uh, yeah. Samsung, you know, and we often have to tell them, you guys, you're the trend. So yeah. if, if we make it, it will become it. Right. And um, yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, you, you've done some pretty neat projects that have created the trend. I, I can think of, 
you know, I don't know if you want to talk about any, I know some of the, some of the ones that have been, you know, really successful recently. Um, it, you know, so to that end, how do you establish milestones or what do you do to give them milestones to hit and say, Hey, if we do this, then it'll lead to that. And you can, you know, you'll know, you'll know that we're on trend or we're, we're about to turn that corner. You can look at, there's many different techniques, but, uh, kind of the obvious one is uh, look at what's happening contextually in society. Um, look at what's, what's happening, not just, you know, some designers will say, well, you look at the fashion industry because that's, that's very forward. You can, for certain things like housewares, you can. You can look at interior design trends and automotive trends and things like that. Those are usually you know, right on the cusp. I, I typically, and rarely inspired by these things. I don't see that's where the trend comes from. Um, I, I do get a little bit more inspired by like, I think general social trends. Like for example, what's happening right now with this pandemic, it is forcing all of us to rethink what is important to each one of us. And I'll tell you, but a lot of people I think are coming to the conclusion that Quality of life probably means a lot more than quantity of life. And I don't mean years. I mean the stuff that we gather. Right. In our so the things that you are surrounding yourself with, and you're well aware of this immediacy because of your, your change surrounding now, and you're not moving around the planet quite as much. The things that you do surround yourself with and you need to be productive have become more important to you. And that in turn triggers quality of design. So there's going to be more discernment upon a purchase decision about mm -hmm. thing that's good. So I think there's a general trend that's happening right now that will that tells me that a lot of the perhaps some of the products which had less than genuine utility will not be as uh, so. Uh, carelessly consumed and purchased. So people are gonna be a little bit more careful in what they purchase, which means that I think it portends for me that there, there's going to be the potential to create a higher quality product that we, that we as designers can then maybe spec out as being a little bit more expensive to produce. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that, you know, that we're heading into the, a, a state of luxury. I don't mean that at all because I typically don't like luxury products at all. Um, I think there's just timeless design that is well-made that is, that has a sense of craft and culture where you can connect with it. These are, I think this is a, I'm more inspired by that kind of trend making. And I think you just have to be honest with your client about, about finding that special expression that might exist within their industry. In some industries, so let me ask you before you go forward. Yeah. Does that that that's going to have a a real trickle down effect though too? Because if you create a design that inspires, then when it goes to you know uh, you know prototype and then and then manufacturing, you know especially if it's domestic here, you know to your point, I think people are looking for not just more meaning at home; they're looking for more meaning in what they're doing and working on too. So if you have created this design and components within the design that then, you know, create inspiration, then, you know, you're, you're already crafting a better 
product or project because the folks that are working on it also see the importance of where it's going. And then when it's, you know, when it's consumed, however that is, you know, now all of a sudden uh, there is a innate, you know, recognition of that improved quality that yeah. you're talking of. Yes. And I, I love that when that occurs. I like this, maybe, maybe you could call it like an echo effect. And that is when you are creating, there, there, is, a, there is a series of joyful moments that occur. And Edison himself, Thomas Edison talked about this too, and I really respect him for this. He would, he would know the moment that proverbial light bulb went off. And that is your first moment when you think, oh man, I think we're onto something. There's something very exciting about this. And then you begin to document it. You, you sketch it, you put in CAD, you see these renderings, and there's another little burst, this euphoric moment where you're realizing you're onto something. Again, these, when you're creating good design, you are you're being a pioneer. Like nobody's gone there before. Edison knew that, you know, well, he, he my God, he invented it, the, the process. Um, then when you see that prototype and the, or the model and the prototype together, there is this moment where you are just truly euphoric. The echo effect is when the end user experiences all of these moments at once in one complete moment where they see it, they get it, they absorb the meaning of it, they appreciate it, and then ultimately it continues to, to deliver as they use it throughout a long period of time. That echo effect is something that you have to be aware of. It's going to happen and, and you need, what I really mean by that echo effect is like that end user should feel a lot like you did, the creator, when you were developing it. You want it to be revelatory in some way. Yeah. Now, you know, I don't expect consumers to, to, you know, completely be ridiculous and analytical the way that we are as designers about every single little detail, but you know, they get it and really yeah. good design speaks speaks for itself it doesn't yeah. need a spec sheet it doesn't need convincing it doesn't need an ad it just does its thing it has a life of its own sure. and all you're doing is exposing it that's awesome um i i can totally relate to that that piece and you know there's there's milestone products that you can kind of think about that have um really been able to you know set the set the standard uh for which you know create industries right and so um you guys have been really fortunate to be at the forefront of a lot of those um and you know i think uh, i think we could talk for a long you know a whole nother one of these on just the business development side of things and, and what that's, um, you know, how you've gotten to that side. Um, you know, that's another, another aspect of consulting that, that I've always enjoyed. And that is business development. Um, I, there's many different descriptions of business development, but when you're a consultant, especially when you're offering a professional service like design and engineering, business development, how you do it, how you promote yourself and how you win work is, that's an art form in and of itself. Mm -hmm. um, 
to me, the best way to do business development is to first do really good work so that the work is out there doing the selling for you, you know, and you never burn a bridge. You stay true to your beliefs. You are always honest with your client. And you know that in 21 years, that just keeps feeding back. You know, I can't tell you how many clients have come back to us. like, or even people I used to work with a long time ago, Dreyfus or Frogger, like, you know, I remember when you did this and that for us and, you know, I'll never forget that. And it's like, boom, you just came from 30 years ago. You know, it's like all of a sudden they're on our doorstep and they want to do a big project. Yeah. We often will simply respond to requests. We, we sometimes will go after a particular client because we see it like this particular field needs more innovation and it mm -hmm. excites us and we should be doing it. Um, but we have been pretty fortunate in the fact that, that uh, a lot of companies have come to us and then how you respond to it and how you actually do the development part of business development, that's the real trick in design because design is not something that most businesses understand. They don't get the jargon. They don't really understand the, this whole vernacular of design. Yeah. Really learn about it in design school or in business school. No. And there's these designers, these, these artistic guys that are off doing their thing, but, but how do you control that? When do you bring them in? Right. How should it take, how much should it cost? So business development and the design consulting field especially requires lots of education, like just describing in a very lucid manner what we're all about, how you do it, how we're going to solve their problem, and once you articulate what you do as a designer in terms that people can really understand, then it's a no-brainer for them. Yeah. Then they understand, oh, this is a smart investment. We should do this. You know, it also helps to have evidence. Evidence-based decision-making is very strong. You can't argue with that. You know, when, when we go in and we'll say, you know, we've had all these successes for, you know, uh, Cisco, Dell, Brita, uh, Google, Leapfrog, Livescribe, Nike, um, Tonal, Topcon, TP-Link, Uber. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Then they're like, wow, we want to be in that company. Yeah. It's, it's easier to, um, you know, sell that way. Well, I mean, I, I, I have a small window of that. And, you know, we have, um, you know, social proof is also uh, something that's really important where, they, you know, participate in the Edison Awards and the competition itself, right? So, uh, you know, being able to be mentioned in a lot of the, the same company as as um, the corporations you just mentioned is is also important, and it validates, you know, not just uh, the design, but also you know some of the successes that the company has. Um, and you know, that's what that's what we're always looking for is what's what's innovative. So different, not different, but it's. Uh, the, the trend is, you know, what are, how do you go about solving the, the problem that you set out to, uh, to face? And, and we're fortunate to work with, you know, folks like yourself and companies like yours uh, and get to see that on the front lines each year. And, and this year was, was no different. Yeah, I'm really glad that you guys do this award because it, it, it celebrates this whole spirit of Edison. And I think that Sadly, a lot of people in this country have forgotten that this country was built on ingenuity. Freedom, liberties, 
and ingenuity. Um, and, and a, I should say, a free enterprise capitalistic society of which it's beginning to fray, by the way. That's another, that's another podcast right there. Don't get me going. Um, but, I, you know, there's something very pure about the Edison story. You know, I love these real pioneers of innovation, these inventors, you know, yeah. he's the best of the best. And um, he was a feisty dude and um, dogmatic. He had lots of rigor. He knew how to use creative discipline. It's one thing to just be a creative type. It's another to be a creative type that actually implements. Yeah. And um, I, I aspire to that. You know, he was inspiring to me when I was a teenager, when I read uh, biographies of his. You know, I, I must say that I, I, I just couldn't believe what he did. He was just so prolific. Yeah. You know about him, the more you, you can't help but be deeply impressed um, and inspired. But your award is, supports that notion. And I love it gives, that it gives a platform to companies that aspire to this inventive way of thinking. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. You know, I think I'm going to uh, take you up on that offer to uh, continue this discussion and, and go down a couple of uh, more of these paths um, and, uh, and see if we can't tackle some more of these topics. But, you know, Dan, it's been great having you on today. I really appreciate you taking the time with me. You're very welcome. It's been fun talking to you, Justin. Until next time. You have been listening to the Inspiring Minds podcast presented by the Edison Awards. On behalf of our guest today and host, Justin Starbird, thank you for listening. Please share your feedback on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Edison Awards. If you have a great guest idea or want to share your inspiring story, please email Justin at justin at edisonawards.com for consideration. Thank you for listening to the Inspiring Minds podcast.